This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. I was talking to a friend a while ago. I was trying to persuade him to become a Christian. And then he said to me, he said, you know, it doesn't matter. Lah. When I die, I'll go to heaven. I said, how come? He said, you know why? Because I'm a good man. I'm a good person. So I don't need anybody to help me to go to heaven. Now, is that really true? Uh, can we really believe that we can be good people and therefore go to heaven? See, last week we looked at this passage, right? So, when we looked at this passage in Romans chapter 1, you'll see it in your church bulletin. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as written, the righteous will live by faith. So here's my friend who's saying, oh, I can save myself. I'm a good person. I've never done anything bad. But here in God's word is the clear testimony that the gospel of Jesus Christ has the power to save and salvation is only by faith from first to last. So who do you follow? What is the truth? Do we believe we can save ourselves? Or do we believe that we need the gospel of Jesus Christ, the power of God's salvation, the saving righteousness that it brings from first to last? Because you can't have both, right? They're both like mutually exclusive. It's either faith or either being a good person. So today in verse 18, it begins in the NIV as if it's standalone, right? It says, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people. But actually, if you look at the ESV, which I have here for you, that's right, up there, you see that actually in the beginning of verse 18, there is the word for, the word because, you know, so there's a connection between verse 18 to what just came before in verse 16 and 17. What it's really saying is, we need the power of God's salvation, we need saving righteousness, we need the gospel, because for the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the ungodliness and wickedness or unrighteousness of people. Now, why, if you look in this passage, is there the wrath of God coming? You know, it's a bit like uh, the inevitability of God's wrath. And that's why you need the gospel. That's why you need faith. So, you know, I'm sure all of you have realized that over the last few weeks, it's been very pleasantly cold in Singapore. Right? So I was listening to the radio the other day, and this guy was making this joke. You know, you should never watch the Game of Thrones because, you know, it's not very godly. So I don't watch it, and you shouldn't watch it too. Anyway, but in the Game of Thrones, there's always this quote, right, which says, Winter is coming. You know, winter is coming. And anyway, I've read the book, so I know the story, right? Winter is coming. So in the whole of the Game of Thrones, winter is coming. And so this guy said, oh, you know, in Singapore, winter is coming. But if you look in the Bible, it's not saying winter is coming. It's saying the wrath of God is coming. It's like this irresistible thing that's coming to the world. And the reason why it's coming into the world is because of people. Because people suppress the truth about God by their wickedness. 
What they're doing is they know that the truth of God is real, but they press it down, they hide it, they bury it. So, it's a bit like when my friend says, I'm a good person, he's thinking with the reference of doing good things. I'm a good person because I do good things. That's why I'm a good person. A good person does good things. But here, it's actually saying that a good person cannot be good if they do not acknowledge the truth about God. By suppressing the truth about God, you are not a good person. It's not about the thing, the good things you do. It is about how you relate to your maker, to your creator. So, this friend of mine who says that he's a good person, he's got a family. Now, imagine if you're a father or a mother, and uh, you ask yourself, you know, what is a good child? So, maybe when Ruol grows up, right? What makes a child a good child? Is it because they get A's in their exams? Is it because they study hard? Is it because they have good careers? Yeah, I suppose so. I mean, you could say they're good in that sense. But can they be good if, let's say, they become very successful, they study very hard, but they suppress the truth that you are their parent? Can they still be a good person? Let's say the child totally does not acknowledge you as their father or mother. Can they still be a good person? Well, they can't be a good person, right? Because that's wrong. So in the same way, mankind or humanity is wicked or unrighteous or ungodly because they suppress the truth about God. But what makes it worse is when you look at this passage, it says that they suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. Right? Uh, yep, it's up there, right? Yep, that's good. So, people can't legitimately say that, oh, you know, it's only because I don't have a super high IQ that I don't believe in God, I don't know God, I don't need to be like Sherlock Holmes to discover the truth about God. Because it says here that God has made it plain to them. It's in front of their eyes. It's, it's not hard to understand. And what it's saying is that when you look at the world, when you look at creation, you recognize that there's a creator behind it. So I came uh, across this uh, cartoon, right? I gave, we gave it out about a year or two ago. Right, remember, I think last year's Christmas, not the, the 2016 Christmas, we gave out these evangelistic tracts, right? And one of them was the evolution of the Coca-Cola can. And basically it says like, okay, imagine, oh, I, I didn't bring my Coca-Cola can prop, but imagine you have a red Coca-Cola can, you all know what it looks like, right? You don't need a prop to see what a Coca-Cola can looks like. You can't say that the, evolu- the, 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 the Coca-Cola can evolved over millions of centuries, and then, you know, it, it just became like this steel thing with this red marks outside of the Coca-Cola logo and this very unhealthy but tasty sugary black flavored, I mean black colored uh, syrup inside, right? Because you look at the Coca-Cola can, you say, okay, someone must have made this Coca-Cola. And obviously it's Coca-Cola company, right? 
So in the same way, if we look at the world, what Romans is actually saying is that the world is shouting out to the world that there is a creator. Because like, even if you look at your hands or you look, I guess you can't look at the eyes unless you can look at the mirror, but you look through your eyes, it is a marvel of engineering. Like even if I asked you to create something as complex as your fingers with touch and sensitivity where you can feel like the wood, but you can touch fire and, and get burned, right? I mean, you can't do that through science. So how do you create sight? Like, you know, if you blinded yourself, you can't buy artificial eyes which allow you to see. So what the Bible is saying is that the God has made the truth about His existence clear to humanity. Now that doesn't mean, okay, this is a bit of a sidetrack, right? This doesn't mean that we don't need the Bible to know God. What it's actually saying is, if you know that there is a God, then you should seek God and find God and desire to know Him. And that happens through the Bible. But the point that the passage is making is, instead of these people seeking and finding God, they are going the other direction. They suppress the truth about God. They bury the truth about God. And that's why the passage then goes on to say, in verse 20, that they are without excuse. There is no excuse. There is no logical reason for people to deny the truth about God. And in verse 21, it goes on to say, for, okay, again, the word is very important here, right? For, because, although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God or gave thanks to Him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. So here it says that they are dis- without excuse because although they knew God, Right, so the knowledge of God is out there, accessible to everyone. They not only suppress the truth about God, but they don't respond to God properly, which is glorifying God and giving thanks to God. Now this is a, is actually expanding to us what the world is bearing, the truth that is bearing. So the truth that the world is bearing is not just the existence of God, but the truth that the world is bearing is how we must relate to God, which is to glorify God and to give thanks to God. Now, what makes it worse is that they, their thinking becomes futile and their hearts were darkened and they exchange, it says here, although they claim to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images to make made to look like mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Now, obviously, we do not live in those times right, where they have idols. I mean, any of you seen any idols of birds? No animals? No reptiles? We don't, right? But still, we have exchanged in modern man, God and the worship and glorification and thankfulness to God to the things of this world, the created things, maybe the pleasures of life, the joys of life, career, or science. I remember 
very sadly, a Christian friend that we knew as a couple, and they were very strong Christians at one stage, but today they worship ecology, conservationism. Right? They 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 worship the world. You know, they want to save the world, and that's they live their whole life in terms of the world. Now, the problem is, if you look at this passage, mankind, humanity, thinks that it is very wise in denying God and bearing God and worshipping the world. So we live in a world where actually to believe in God is to be seen as a fool. I mean, honestly, you read the newspapers, I was reading this um, funny article. It wasn't very funny. Lah. But there was, there was this guy who obviously is an atheist and he was writing in a British newspaper saying how in England, I think last year there was in one of the major museums in England a exhibition of all the archaeology showing all the idols in the world. And uh, the curator of the museum said that it, for the first time in history, in the United Kingdom, there is a society in the whole of history where the majority of people do not believe in God. And uh, this guy who was writing the newspaper article, he also doesn't believe in God. And he was saying like, oh, you know, he finds it very uh, uncomfortable to meet a Christian person who believes in God because he, he, he can't understand why this person believes in God. Uh, it's like to the, I guess, the humanistic person living in the United Kingdom, when they meet a person who believes in God, they think this person is, there's something deficient in this person. So I was reading um, uh, Richard uh, Dawkins, I think, and he said that he doesn't like the term atheist. He prefers the term brights. Brights. You know why? Because they are bright people. Wise people. They are bright. You know, like bright. You understand what I'm saying, not? Bright people are smart, right? So he prefers the term, instead of atheist, brights. And I met another, uh, there was another guy, an uh, atheist blogger. He also doesn't like to call himself an atheist. He says, I prefer the term truthist. I'm a truthist. Because, you know, I subscribe to the truth as opposed to the foolishness of believing God. So here's exactly what the passage is saying. The world claims to be wise. But actually, in God's eyes, it says that their thinking has become futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. And although they became, they claimed to be wise, they became fools. Now here we see three descriptions of the world which ignores God. Foolish, vain thinking. Foolish uh, living, right? but also the darkened hearts. Now, it's very interesting because we often think that the rejection of God, the burying or the suppressing of God, is just a purely intellectual exercise. Right? So, you know, I believe in science. So, therefore, I, I don't believe in the supernatural and I reject God. But from God's point of view, the mind which is futile in its thinking and foolish in its thinking is linked with the darkened heart, with a heart which is suppressing the truth about God. And I think it's very real because the point that the Bible is making is that the, the rejection of God doesn't just come from the mind, 
but comes from the heart that is sinful and desires evil. So, I was reading this book a while ago, and um, there are these... Uh, oh, okay, the heart is the word cardia, right? Okay, so you all know cardia. No, you don't ask Ben. Lah. Okay, cardia. Cardiac arrest, right? Okay. So, the next slide. So, these guys are atheists, and they write quite honestly. So, there's this physicist guy, Victor Stenger. He said, if God does exist, I personally want nothing to do with him. And there's this philosopher called Thomas Nagel. He said, I want atheism to be true. It isn't just that I don't believe in God. I don't want there to be a God. I don't want the universe to be like that. Now, we should commend these uh, people for being very honest. Because what they're saying is actually, it is the desire for the world to be without God, where I can be God, which has driven their philosophical mindset to reject the very idea of God itself. So, what the Bible is saying is, it is not just the mind which rejects God, it, it comes and is unified with a heart which doesn't want God rule, ruling over me. But verse 24 is the scary, scary part which comes back to the wrath of God. So in verse 24, the word begins with therefore. Therefore, because they are without excuse, therefore, because they reject and suppress God, therefore, because they do not glorify and give thanks to God. God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies to one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worship and serve created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. Amen. Now, you need to pay close attention to this because it seems as if the wrath of God has two elements. The wrath of God comes on the last day in final judgment. But verse 24 also says that the wrath of God comes presently because God gives people over into their sins. Do you understand what I'm saying? That the wrath of God seems to come in two elements. Judgment at the end, but the giving of people over to sins today. Primarily in verse 24 to 25, in the degrading of their body in sexual immorality. It means sex outside of marriage, right? So sexual immorality in the Bible is everything, all sex outside of marriage, between a man and a woman. Now, if you look here in the passage, the phrase gave them over, gave them over, gave them over happens uh, actually three times, actually four times, like you can see. Oh, no, actually it's three times. Okay, but what it's scarily saying is that if you reject God because you want to live a sinful life, then part of the wrath of God actually is God saying, okay, you want this? I give you this. I give you into the sexual morality that you want. Now, verse 25, 26 onwards, goes beyond the general sexual morality to God giving people over to homosexual relationships. Because of this, 
God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful lust acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Now, why? Why does God seem to single out homosexuality as a sign of Him giving people over into His wrath? This is very politically incorrect, right? Because you're basically saying that God is giving people into His wrath and judgment by giving them over into their homosexual relationships. Now, I could spend a whole sermon explaining to you why uh, many homosexual scholars try to overturn this passage, but really, it is what it is. It's very clear what it's saying. It is not saying that God gave them over to homosexual prostitution. Okay, It doesn't say that, right? Man to man, woman to woman. It doesn't say man to prostitute, women to prostitute. It's man to man, woman to woman. Neither is the passage saying that God gave them over into homosexual pedophilia, where, you know, in the ancient world, it was quite a known common practice where, you know, the, 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 in the Greek world, the male teachers would have sort of like sexual affairs with their younger male students. Okay, the, the passage is not talking about this. It's talking in a general sense. In fact, when you look at the next slide, uh, okay, We'll deal with this first. So if you look at this passage, why does God focus on homosexual relationships in particular as a sign in which He's actually showing that He's giving people over into wrath? I think it's because in men and women suppressing the truth and worshipping idols of animals, they have overturned the natural order, right? So it should be God, humanity, Animals. That's the way that God designed the hierarchy of the world, society. God, man, or humanity, animals. But what modern humanity has done is reversed it. Right? It's like they worship the created world. They put themselves under the created world. And then they put God under all that. So there's an overturning of the natural order which God has made. And that's why it says there that as we exchange God for the created things, so in the same way, homosexuality in a sense represents the overturning of the natural order where people exchange their natural relations between men and women, women to man, for man, man, women, women. You can see that because when you look at the word, okay, obviously you can't see it. Uh, next slide. Uh, in the original language, there's two ways you can actually describe men and women. Right? So if you look at other passages in the New Testament, usually the word men and women can also be translated as husband and wife. But the word here, men and women, is actually the same Greek word which is used in the translation of the Old Testament as men and women in Genesis chapter 1 which is where God created the world. God created man and woman. So what he's actually saying is, at creation in Genesis, 
God created men and women for marriage, for sexual relationship. But because men and women have suppressed knowledge of God and overturned the relationship between creator, man, uh, humanity and the creator order, so in the same way, God has given them over into this overturning of their sexual, natural relations. Now, I think that this is very relevant in the world today because if you go and read some of the very famous uh, philosophers, philosophers who have been quite instrumental in terms of uh, advancing the atheist movement, they are quite honest to say that one of the main reasons why they don't want to believe in God is because of sexual ethics. So, uh, you, do you all know Aldous Huxley? Nobody knows this guy. Have you all never heard of the Brave New World? You are not literate people. Okay, anyway, let me, uh, you can Google it and find out who he is. So he said, I had motives for not wanting the world to have a meaning. Consequently, I assumed that it had none and was able without difficulty to find satisfying reasons for this assumption. For myself, as no doubt for most of my contemporary, the philosophy of meaninglessness was essentially an instrument of liberation. The liberation we desired was liberation from a certain system of morality. We objected to the morality because it interfered with our sexual freedom. Have you all heard of Bertrand Russell? He's also a very famous philosopher. He said the worst feature of the Christian religion is its attitude towards sex. So, actually at the heart of it, you can sort of see that the rejection of God, the suppressing of God, leads in a sense to sexual morality and is motivated because of sexual morality. But what is the first cause of this movement? It is because God gives people over into their, their sexual desires. And it feeds on itself where, okay, I want to live this life of sexual liberation. Therefore, at the same time, I reject the existence of God, both in the world and in my life. But the surprising thing then comes in verse 28 to 32, right? Because it says, furthermore... Right, furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile for it to for worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a deprived mind, so that they so that they do what ought not to be done. They become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these things, very things, but also approve of those who practice them. Now here it becomes a bit worrying, right? Because you know when you see this list, any of you guilty of these sins? I, I think... When I look at it, if I'm honest with myself, I'm guilty of some of those sins. And what happens is as you're reading Romans chapter 1, you look at the beginning, verse 18. Oh yes, there are people who suppress the truth about God. Yes, yes, there's all those terrible atheists and terrible people out there. 
Oh yes, these are people who commit sexual morality. Yes, yes, yes. They should all go to hell, right? And you know, there are these people who commit sexual, homosexual relations. Yes, yes, yes. All those people outside the church. But then when you come to the last part, you realize, hey, that's, that's some of me, right? I have a depraved mind. I struggle with these things. And if it is true, then what it's saying is the wrath of God is coming against me as well. Right? The wrath of God is going to rain down on me because even though I might not be the worst and the worst of sinners, I have not, you know, I have not, I'm not out there rampantly you know, sleeping around things, but I'm still sinful. Because if you notice in the passage, God gave them over sexual morality, God gave them over homosexuality, God gave them over to be gossips. So what it's saying is actually gossiping is the same in a sense to God in terms of giving people over into the wrath of God as rampant homosexual behavior. To God, these things will be deserving of judgment. So we began today's passage by saying the context is quite important, right? Because in 16 and 17, it was saying that the purpose of Paul was to encourage people, the readers in the book of Romans, to hold on to the gospel. Right? He wanted them to, to live by faith. Remember, the righteous will live by faith. So he's saying, look, you guys are Romans, you've got to keep living by faith. Right, day by day, living by faith. And what he's saying is, look, you need to live by faith because the wrath of God is not just coming on everybody outside, but it's also coming on you because you exhibit some of these behaviors too. So you need to hold on all the more to the gospel of Jesus Christ, to saving righteousness which comes from the power of the gospel. Now, a friend of mine told me this story about his uh, father. Right? His father is not a Christian and for some reason he's a non-believer and he was out by himself one Sunday walking around and he saw a queue and he joined the queue and he ended up in church. So he came home and he said, oh, this church is very good, you know, the sermon's very good, you should go and listen, blah, 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 the whole family should go. And then uh, this guy who's a Christian said, oh, that's really great, you should come with us. Then the father said, no, la. why do I need to go? I don't need to go. I'm not a sinner. You guys are all sinners, right? <laughs> and I think that's what we think, right? We think, oh no, you know, this message is always for someone else. It's always that, you know, this person we can think of in our mind, that's the person that this passage is speaking about. But actually, this passage is speaking not to the person out there, but it's also in a rhetorical way ending up back to us. We are the ones with depraved minds. We are the ones also have darkened hearts. And the passage is actually telling us that we need to come back to verse 16 and 17. We need the gospel all the more. We need to have faith. Because, in verse 18, because the wrath of God is being revealed, and it's not just being revealed against all these limited groups of people, but to everybody, including ourselves. So we need all the more to have faith and believe in the power of the gospel and the salvation that it brings, and the saving righteousness that God has promised. Dear Father, as we come before you today, we pray that as we 
look at your word, we will see how it's such an accurate critique of the world which rejects you and as a result has been given over into sin. We pray for ourselves that we can see that even though we do not live with the outright rejection of you, we too have a depraved mind. And all the more we need to be saved by living by faith. Help us to see all the more that the power of salvation is found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That we can only find salvation, saving righteousness when we have faith in Him. And as we see the wrath of God coming in this present world and eventually, once and for all, find its fulfillment in the judgment, that this passage will drive us all the more back to the gospel of Jesus Christ and all the more to have strong faith in Him. And we pray for all these things in Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at busypc.sg.